0: Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life. Do you have real life? Uh, we've been in this series entitled uh, True Life. Uh, for several weeks now. Matter of fact, next week will be the end of the series, and then we'll start a new series for Christmas. Uh, and I think it will make 12 weeks that we've been in this series. We've talked uh, uh, about a lot of topics dealing with true life. But specific question today is this, do you have true life? But By that question, I'm not asking you if you've been coming to the services where we talk about true life. I'm not asking if you know how to go to the website, if you have gone to the website, if you've been watching videos uh, about true life. I'm not, that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> what I'm asking this morning is this. Do you know for sure that you have true life? And by that, I'm asking you, do you know without any doubt that you have, in fact, trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? See, that's how you get true life. True life is not made up of possessions or uh, fame or anything that the world might throw out there trying to make you think you'd be significant if you just had those things. True life happens by you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. He said, I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. A lot of people turn that into a health and wealth message, but a real abundant life is the life that that Jesus gives you, that God gives you when you trust in Him as Savior. But how do you get that? How do you really get true life? And today my goal is just to kind of give a pretty direct presentation of the gospel, and I I mentioned that to you last week. It might shock you, the message may be a little bit shorter. We're actually going to have a song thrown in the middle of the... Uh, of the worship service, and, and we want to have more time also at the end for the invitation. So I, I'm hoping if you don't know for sure that you have true life, you can know that or you will know that before you leave today. As we think about how to have true life, we need to recognize there's a problem. <laughs> and, and we need to also understand that there's a provision that we need to trust in, and then we need to pray to God and place faith in the provision that God's made for us. The, the problem is we're all sinners. Now, a lot of people don't like that concept because we live in a world today that people don't want to hear anything that maybe might hurt, hurt their feelings at, at all in some way. And, and people come up with all kinds of excuses wanting to deny that they're a sinner or not liking the concept of sin. Uh, but just because you deny something doesn't do away with it. In fact, the Bible tells us this, if we deny that we're sinners, we're actually lying to ourselves. Because in first John, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You're lying to yourself if you try and say, I'm not a sinner. I don't have any sin. I don't have any problems. I'm okay, God. I don't care what you say. I'm all right. You're lying to yourself if you try and say that you don't have any sin. You're deceiving yourself in, in the truth. God's truth is not in us. Not only by denying sin do you lie to yourself, but by denying sin, it's like you're calling God a liar. Because the Bible goes on and says, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So it's almost like someone who is denying their sin, wanting to ignore the fact that they are a sinner. It's like they're saying, God, I don't believe you. God, what you said is wrong. God, you're you're a liar. I'm not really a sinner. And yet we are. People come up because they want to deny this concept of sin they don't want to admit they're a sinner they come up with all kinds of excuses trying to work their way around it and I don't have time to deal with all the excuses I've run into a lot of them over the years but I want to cover some basic excuses that people will use trying to deny being a sinner one is this people will believe this they will try and argue that they're a good person I'm a good person. There's not anything wrong with me. I mean, look at my life and, and look at how maybe people who are really, really bad out there in the, the the world live. And I'm not all that bad. I'm really a good person. But the Bible tells us this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless No one does good, not even one. So for our claims of goodness, God says that's not really true. There's not anyone that's really good. People also will come up with this excuse. They will consider themselves as good as others. Not just saying they're good, but they, they start doing a comparison game. And they'll look at the life of someone else and maybe someone that's living worse than they're living. And that makes them feel better about themselves. So they'll say, I'm not as bad as that person. Or, I'm not as bad as those people. I'm not as bad as that group. I'm not as bad as that individual. I'm not living like that person. And they'll start drawing comparisons out and they'll think I'm about as good as others. But see, the Bible says this also in Romans 3, it says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say all of sin and fall short of the glory of some other person. <laughs> See, we try and draw the wrong comparison. We, we try and compare ourselves with others when the comparison is not someone else. You need to compare yourself with God. You need to compare yourself with Jesus. You need to compare yourself with his holiness, his righteousness. And when we do that, we come away with a pretty keen awareness that we are sinners. That The Bible Plainly tells us they're all of sin. All of us have missed the mark. All of us fall short. It's, it's like you're trying to hit a target and you, you, you fell on winning the prize as a result of it. Back when I was younger, even up into my 40s, uh, I was a relatively good basketball player. Some of you guys, you know, uh, Gene, you were, you were there, so if you think I'm lying, if Gene won't lie about me, you can go ask Gene later. But even when I was you know, in my early 40s, I, I could hit probably, what, about 60% of my NBA three-pointers and everything. And I would play basketball a whole lot and things like that. And I was in my 40s. I paid for it later having a knee surgery because I would go when the gym was open at the church I was at then. We would have a, a gym night, and I would go try and show the 18-year-olds I was just as fast as they were, you know, make the old man feel good. And even then, I could hit the NBA three-pointers. Now, something caught up to me called age. (laughs) And I don't have the spring in my legs to do it anymore. Matter of fact, over the last few years, any time I've been to where maybe somebody's playing basketball and I start thinking to myself, I'm going to pick one up and do what I used to do, I can't get it there anymore because it falls short because I can't push it far enough. So, So I'm missing the mark. Most of you know, I spent about, not quite, almost 10 years in, in law enforcement. We would fool with people sometimes when you go to the range. You realize if you're in law enforcement, you have to learn how to shoot uh, and, and things like that. And we'd go to the, the range. Well, see, when you're shooting at those targets, after you kind of cut a hole out, you can't really count where all the bullets were. So every now and then, just to fool with a guy beside of you, you'd shoot a flyer over on his and look like he missed the whole target. I'm trying to see if any of our law enforcement guys have been guilty of doing that back there, if they're going to admit doing that, messing with somebody else. We had a guy I worked with by the name of Brad, and uh, it was on the on the department. And uh, he was one of our detectives. Brad couldn't hit the broadside of arm bar, and he was pissed. I don't know how he'd ever qualified. He may have been paying the fellow beside him to hit the target for him or something. I, I don't know what he was doing. Uh, back then. But we had a guy running from us one time and Brad was chasing him. The guy ran down to the Yakin River, was trying to swim across the river. And and I got there after this all happened. And, And I found out Brad had been shooting his gun. Well, the guy wasn't shooting at Brad, but Brad was shooting his gun. And I got on to Brad because I was a sergeant on the ship. And I said, what were you doing firing your gun? And, and, and he said, well, I was just shooting warning shots in the water. I wasn't trying to hit him. And I said, Brad, I would rather you had tried to shoot him than not shoot him because you might hit him by trying not to shoot him. I'm just telling all that for, kind of for a lie or a moment to make the point of missing a mark. But you see, what we're talking about here is this. We're talking about missing God's glory. That's the mark. That's the standard. We all sin because none of us can, can add up to the glory of God. And if we will compare ourselves with Jesus instead of other people, like I said a moment ago, that will give us a keen awareness of our sinfulness. And we can't use this excuse that I'm about as good as, as, as others. Because when you put God's glory up there, we all fall short. We all miss that mark. Third thing people will... Used as an excuse a lot of times, people will complain it's unfair to be considered guilty of sin because of Adam's sin, because of Adam's choices. They'll say, that's not fair, God, for you to say, I'm a sinner because of what Adam did. And yet the Bible tells us this, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because of all of sin. the one man is talking about right there is the first Adam. The Bible refers to Christ as the second man, Adam. We'll get there in a few minutes. But because of the one man's sin, because of Adam's sin, death passed through sin to all the human race. And we are all sinners by, by nature. We're sinners by nature. But you see, you need to read all of that first right there because, yes, we're sinners because of what Adam did, but it goes on and it says death spread to all men because what? Because all sinned. We're, we're sinners by nature, but we're also sinners by our choices. We, we make wrong choices, and that's why we're guilty before God. Because of Adam's sin, but also because of our own, own choices. Well, later on in that chapter, a couple of verses later, verse 14 says this. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who sinned was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That's talking about Jesus. What did Moses do? What did God give to Moses? The Ten Commandments. So you see, our death and our sinfulness was passed on to us Because of Adam's sin, because we didn't even have the Ten Commandments yet to sin against, and yet people were dying because of sin between Adam and between Moses, and the law had not even been given. So everyone's a sinner by nature, and we're also sinners by choice. And the problem, whether we like it or not, is simply that. We are sinners. Now, I'm glad it doesn't stop there. Because we're talking about how to have true life. It starts by recognizing you're a sinner and being willing to admit that. But we also need to understand this. We need need to understand that God made a provision for us. Amen? We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be good enough. We are all sinners. God's holy. So God had to make a provision for us. He made the provision of sending his son. Not as an afterthought, not as a second thought. It wasn't like God was up in heaven and when Adam sinned, God started scratching his head and said, I didn't see that coming. God knew in advance always that man would sin, that I would sin, that you would sin. And it was always preplanned that he would send his son to pay for our sins on the cross. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.15, but the free gift... It's not like the trespass. Once again, we're talking about the first Adam and the second Adam. For if many died through one man's trespass, talking about Adam, when he chose sin, much more have the grace of God in the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. See, what we lost in the first Adam, we get back plus. <laughs> plus. In the second Adam. The, the, the only thing that we ever got from Adam, the only provision that Adam ever made for us was sin and death. That's his provision. That he provided for us. But in, instead of sin and death, Jesus Christ provides this for us. He, he provides for us God's grace as a free gift. As a free gift. Let's, let's talk about that provision a little bit. You see, you need to recognize this also. The provision was made for us while we were sinners. And that's really important because sometimes I'll be talking to people over the years and, 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 and ask them about, you know, trusting Jesus as their Savior or, you know, come to church. And I get this excuse a whole lot of times. Well, I, I'll trust Jesus later, but I've got to fix myself first. I've got to straighten my life out first. Or I'll come to church later, but I'll I'll come to church after I work on myself, after I clean myself up, after I straighten myself up a little bit. Then I'll come to church, and then I might think about trusting in Jesus. But you see, the problem with that is this. I can't fix myself. You can't fix yourself. We can't clean ourselves up. If we could clean ourselves up, we wouldn't need Jesus to start with, having died on the cross for us. Jesus died for us while we were sinners. Look at these verses. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, not while you were lovely, not while you were deserving, not while you were really good, while you were a sinner. Christ died for us. It says, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we now have received the reconciliation. Just, just leave the verse up there for a moment. The, the word justified, and I'll, you, you'll see it later on in, in another slide anyway. But the word justified there, we justify his blood. If you've been around here much at all over the years, you've heard me talk about how you can remember what justification means. Justified means that God makes us through Jesus just like we've never sinned. It, it means God renders us or he reckons us innocent. It doesn't mean you are innocent. It doesn't mean that you are without guilt. It means that you're guilty and you are deserving of punishment. But God, because of Jesus, reckons you to be justified. He he makes you in his eyes as though you've never sinned. He did that through the blood of his son. And through Jesus, he sent his son to die on the cross so we might be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. God. Because of our sinfulness, we were enemies against God, but we can be reconciled, brought back together in a relationship with holy God by the death of his son, because Jesus died on the cross, paid the full penalty for our sins. He said, much more now, if we're reconciled, we should be saved by his life. More than that, also, we rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we've now received the reconciliation. Now think about the things of that verse for a moment. He he told us we ought to rejoice. Did you see that? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's why we ought to rejoice. We ought to rejoice because Christ died for us while we were sinners. We we ought to rejoice because we're justified, made just like we've never sinned, by faith in His blood. We ought to rejoice because we've been saved by Jesus. If you know Him as your Savior, you've been saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. We ought to rejoice because we're reconciled to God, brought back together with holy God by the death of his son. And we're also not just saved by his death, we're saved by his life. Now think about it from these terms. If we're saved by the death of Jesus, and we are by faith in the death of Jesus, the sacrifice on the cross, think about how much more secure we are that he got up out of the grave. Amen? Amen. We are saved by his life. In other words, that gives us all the confidence in the world to know that Jesus paid everything necessary on the cross because he took his life back up. That gives us the faith and the confidence to know that whom we believed in can actually do everything that he said he did for us because he took his life back up. That's why we ought to have faith in him and that's why we ought to rejoice in him. The word for rejoice means this it means to boast, it means to, to vaunt. To, to glory in, more or less. And, and Paul's telling us we ought to rejoice because of all those truths that I just talked about. Stand up. John in, in our worship band today is going to come back out, and he's going to do a song. And, and what it said right there was that we ought to rejoice in light of all those things that I just talked about. There's people right now getting ready to go to Panther Stadium. And uh, depending on whether you're a Panther fan or a Redskins fan, anyway, people are going to be there and they're hoping to rejoice. And have a big time and, you know, do do the wave and everything else under the sun. Men of really nice physique showing up with purple on their bellies or blue on their bellies or whatever color they're going to paint themselves in. Today, And they're going to get there and they're going to have a big show for something that will not matter in eternity. Now, that doesn't mean I'm anti-football. I hope the Panthers clean the clock of the Redskins. That's just me, okay? If you're a Redskins fan, I offended you. I'm, I'm not really sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that doesn't matter in eternity. Did you see all the things I just read in that verse of what Jesus has done for us? And if you know Christ as your Savior, I'm simply saying right now you ought to rejoice. The, the song they're going to do is a new song for us. And, and it talks about God having to put the air in our, in our lungs. You need to breathe it in and let it out right now and sing and rejoice. And I want to challenge you to do that. I want to encourage you to rejoice right now because of what Christ has done for us. That's a trial run for you because we're going to do that song again, the invitation. <laughs> and we've got reason to rejoice. You can be seated. We've got reason to rejoice. Why? Because the problem is we're sinners. We have reason to rejoice because of the provision that God made for us in His Son in Christ. Sending His Son to die for us while we were sinners. But You see, there, there, there's something else you have to do with that, even though that's that's true, This provision has to be received by faith. You have to receive the provision that God has made for you in Christ by his son dying for your sins by faith. We've been in in Romans 5 a little bit, going to the very first of the chapter now, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by, what's the word? Faith. We have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So some words are used there. I've already told you what justified means. It means God renders us just or innocent even though we're not. He does it by faith. By us having this persuasion, by us giving credence to the gospel, relying upon Christ for salvation. It says, because of that, we have peace with God. And that word for peace means to be joined together with Him. Because of sin, we were separated from God. Now through faith and the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we can be brought together with God, joined together with Him at peace with God. That happens through the access that Jesus gives us. Through denotes the channel of the act. Access means admission. In other words, Jesus paid the cost of admission. You ever been somewhere and you had to buy a ticket to get in? That, that's true of that game I mentioned a moment ago. It's getting ready to happen. They're not just going to let anybody in. John Howard goes to most of the home games. And uh, I think he bought season passes years ago. He was there at the first service. But I, I told him, John, I said, when you get down there Charlotte today, are they going to let you in just because you go up to the gate, the ticket gate, and you say, I'm John Howard. And that's not going to happen. He he had to have a mission, has to have a ticket. Jesus dying on the cross, he paid the admission cost for us into the grace of God. He, He purchased our ticket or we have access, admission into this grace in which we stand. And that denotes a fixed position of of release or rest. In other words, the grace that God gives us is permanent. Once you receive Christ as Savior, you stand in that grace. God's never going to take that grace away from you. You stand forever, permanently in the grace of God because of what Jesus did for you when you trust Him as Savior. God will not remove that grace. It's something you permanently stand in. And because of that, there's that word rejoice again. (laughs) We ought to boast and we ought to vaunt. See, God's provision for us is Jesus Christ and his cross. It's not works. That's where a lot of people mess up the gospel. In Romans chapter 4, verse 2 and 6 says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. In other words, if Abraham could have been good enough to work his way to heaven, he could have bragged about it. but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Remember the story that takes place there. God more or less said this. God said, Abraham, even though you're really old and your wife is really old, I'm going to give you offspring and I'm going to give you such a mighty nation and so much offspring coming forth from your seed that it'll be like the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. And he in his old age, beyond the years of child, fathering a child and his wife beyond the years of, Carrying a child. All Abraham did was believe God. He said, Amen. To what God said. He believed God. Abraham believed God. Not because Abraham was good. Not because he worked. Trying to win his salvation. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. In other words, if someone's working, it's owed to them. And the one who does not work, but trust in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith. In other words, just like Abraham, if you and I will have faith in the finished work of Jesus, and we'll take God at his word, our faith is also counted to us as righteousness. Let's keep reading. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. What did I say about Moses a minute ago? Moses, God gave him what? Ten commandments. Who came first, Moses or Abraham? Let's get this in chronological order. <laughs> Abraham. Abraham could not have been saved by any means whatsoever of obeying the law because the law did not even exist. Abraham was saved solely based upon faith. And you and I are not saved by obeying the law. We are saved by taking God at his word and believing that Jesus is our provision who died on the cross for our sins. The Bible says this in Romans six, for the wages of sin is death. That's all you get out of wages of trying to work your way. But the free gift The free gift of God is eternal life. How do you get it? In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 4 says for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who works. Is that what it says? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, our problem is we're all sinners. God made a provision for us by sending his own son to die on the cross. So our question is today this. Do you have true life? Do you know without any doubt you have true life? Do you know right now you're comfortable with the thought of dying right now and knowing that you have true life because you know for sure you trust your Christ as your Savior? Because if you don't know it, you can know it. Because the third and last thing I want to talk about real quick is the prayer. The problem is we're sinners. The provision was made for us in order that we can be saved through Jesus. But there's this prayer, this thing of trusting Christ for salvation. Romans 10, beginning at verse 6, says this, But the righteousness... Based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven that is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Now I'm going to comment on that, but I want to read the next verse first. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. I think what Paul is saying there is this. It's not some huge significant thing, some hard task that you have to go about in order to be saved. You don't have to go up into heaven to bring Jesus down. You don't have to go to the abyss, to Hades, to the grave to try and bring Jesus up. One, he's not there anyway. (laughs) But you don't have to do some big thing like that. You don't have to do something like go to heaven to bring Jesus down to have a relationship with him or to go into the depths of hell to try and have a relationship with Jesus. It's not some huge, hard thing to do. It's as simple as the words in your mouth. That's how simple it is. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is a word of faith we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not go to heaven to bring him down, not go to some hard task, some significant thing, it is to believe in your heart, to confess with your mouth. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does the Bible say? You might possibly be saved. What does it say? What? What does it say? Everybody get it you will be saved. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, made just like you've never sinned. And with a mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says this, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, 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 for everyone, put your name there. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Our problem is we're all sinners. We cannot save ourselves. So God made this great, tremendous, wonderful provision for us by sending his son to die on the cross. And it is when we admit to God that we're sinners, we cannot save ourselves. We believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross for us. We confess with our mouth. We trust in him with our mouth. We say that he is Lord. He says that he will give us eternal life. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, how about you? Do you know for sure that you have true life? I'm going to ask you to bow and pray with me in just a moment. And while we're doing that, while we're praying, if you know without any doubt you have true life, then I hope you'll pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, you know, this week. You might be down and out, think things aren't really good in my life, and I, you know, I don't, I need some stuff in my life, and and uh, you know, you're 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 worried about all kinds of earthly things, maybe worldly things. You might not be being very thankful, but can I remind you of something? If you know Christ as your Savior, you ought to be thankful. You ought to rejoice. So I'll encourage you as we pray in just a moment, if you know Christ as your Savior, that you will pray and be thankful to God for His provision, for all He's done for you. And we're going to sing that same song in just a moment, and I hope you will sing it like you mean it. Sing it like you really know Jesus. Rejoice because of all that He's done for you. But also as we pray this prayer, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, As I said a moment ago, you can. He's as close as you believe in in your heart. He's as close as the words of your mouth. And I encourage you during this invitation, if you don't know him, that you'll say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. You're right. I messed up. I can't fix it. I can't save myself. I believe you made the provision. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I'm going to trust in him and nothing else or no one else. I'm going to receive your free gift of grace because you're offering it to me through your son. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you personally for my salvation. I want to thank you even though I could never deserve it. That you made the provision for me in your son. Father, I pray that others that know you right now are being thankful. That they are rejoicing in prayer to you and they're thanking you for the great provision you made for them in Christ. But, Father, I also pray right now that anyone who does not know you will come to faith in you. They'll admit they're a sinner. They'll accept your provision, Jesus on the cross, and receive your free gift of salvation, your grace offered to them in Christ. Which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. if you happen to just pray that prayer I want to show you something Romans 8 says we'll have to back up Romans 8 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit and life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death you see that? If you already know Christ as your Savior, no condemnation. If you prayed just a moment ago as I was praying to receive Christ as your Savior, no condemnation. And if you prayed a moment ago, I invite you to step forward and let us know. Or maybe you still have questions and you need to come right now during this song and ask for someone to talk to you more and pray with you more. All I've tried to do today is give a clear presentation of the gospel. We're sinners who cannot save ourselves. God did it for us. He made the provision for us. But you have to ask Him for it in prayer. I invite you to come. God speaks to your heart. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day3Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day3Church. Experience a new day in your life.